was a police officer for a little more than four years. He was exposed to violence, life and death situations early in his career, and it had a lasting impact. He's here to talk about the misconceptions a lot of people have about police use of force and what he's doing today. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today Show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way, feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. Calling us from the Atlanta, Georgia area. We have John Saporsky on the phone. John is a former law enforcement officer. He did four years in the Ros- is it Roswell, Georgia Police Department. That's right, Jay. Roswell, Georgia. And that's just a little bit north of Atlanta, not far. It's in the suburbs. And That's right. Four years, a lot of people will think, hey, that's not very long. We'll talk about how intense it can be in a few moments. He is also the founder of Law Enforcement Connect. Get more information about what they do online at lawenforcementconnect.com. First of all, John, thanks for your service and thanks for being guests on the show. Very much appreciated. Jay, thanks for having me. One of the main things, and by the way, I realized today... This month made 30 years ago, I retired from law enforcement. I got hurt and retired young. It was a gunfight. No one was shot. And I thought I sprained my wrist in a fight for my gun and found out having three surgeries, two steel plates. I was retired at the rape old age of 33 and had to figure out what I want to do afterwards. One of the things I tell people all the time is we, there's a misconception that people have, that police are trigger happy. I was in four shootings in a little more than 10 years, and the first two, I never fired a shot back. And I think part of your story is similar. Yeah, first of all, thank you for your service as well. Uh, And you're right. I was uh, also involved in a shooting and never fired my gun either. We're going to talk about that in a moment. i got to ask a couple questions first. I thought I went into law enforcement with a pretty good idea of what to expect. The truth is, it was far more dangerous, far more traumatic, far more violence, far much more deaths and beatings and stabbings and all that stuff than I could ever have realized. Is that a fair assessment for you? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I also didn't quite understand the reality of the job. Uh, I felt like I had a pretty good grasp. And, and for the most part, I did. What I didn't realize is that you re- literally just respond to everybody's worst day. Oh, yeah. Well, it's an old line in Joseph Wombo books. I'm a little bit older than you. And one of the things is he always, his premise is you come in this job idealistic, you're going to make a difference, you're going to save their world, and you deal with people at their worst, in their worst possible moments of their life, and you're usually dealing with 
if not them, the worst segments of society. And eventually that whole psychological thing starts to collapse on you. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I love most about the job is you had the extreme highs, but you also did have the extreme lows. There was very middle, very little middle ground. Um, and, uh, you know, to be fair, even though I served four years, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, I, one thing, and I, I got to take you to task on this. People say only. Look, there's a young man we're talking about right now who was shot and killed in the New York Police Department a little more than a year on the job. We have people that are brand new at the academy, and they're going through the worst possible things in the world. They see the worst of the worst immediately on a job. Some of them lose their lives over it. Some of them are impacted for the rest of their lives. So it doesn't matter to me whether it's one week, four years, 40 years. Everybody's going to pay a price. Yeah, without question. Uh, actually, that's a big part of my story as well. But uh, one of the things that uh, drove me to uh, a little bit mad after the fact when I got out was I kept hearing basically uh, that just ask the people would say, just ask anyone with 10 or more years of experience. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I was nearly killed the first month on the job. So tell me why, again, I need 10 years of experience. I, I agree. I was. I had my first situation where I was shot at, probably less than a year at uh, the academy on the streets. And I, I'll be honest with you, it was the same reaction to the first one as it was to the last. I couldn't believe people were trying to kill me, and they didn't even know who I was. Yeah, that's that's the craziest part of it. I think that's another reason why we're such a tight knit community is because we all wear the same uniform, similar styles, and that's uh, people don't hate the person; they hate the uh, what we represent. Yeah, everybody that shot at me was not trying to, it wasn't personal. I, I realized that it's hard not to take it personally when people are trying to kill you. It really is. I say that tongue in cheek, but if you think about it, it's really difficult not to take it personally when they're trying to kill you. What they were doing is they're trying to avoid apprehension. Most of them are career criminals, had prior, multiple prior arrests, multiple convictions, and they didn't want to go back to prison or jail. And they would do whatever it took to get away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because, you know, they weren't after John J. Wiley or John Saporsky. They were just, like you said, they were trying to uh, flee from an arrest situation. They didn't want to go back. Yeah, it didn't matter who it was. So you, you were new on the street in your first year, and you had your first situation where someone tried to kill you. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. I was actually in uh, phase one of FTO or field training. Uh, and so I was fresh out of the academy. I'd just gone through our agency's uh, excellent training program after academy. It's a little post-academy before the street. Uh, but it was month one. Yeah. What happened? Well, what happened was uh, an officer who was also on the job, a fellow officer on shift, called out on a traffic stop. He saw a vehicle who was traveling and the front bumper was hanging off the vehicle. And so he effected a traffic stop, effectively got into a chase. Chase led across the city. That's where I engaged was uh, when the vehicle wrecked out and the suspect bailed and then tried to pull a gun on the uh, initiating officer, uh, dropped the gun uh, and was ended up Uh, was tased and then arrested. Uh, Our sergeant uh, at the time, one of the the sergeants at the time, was actually uh, getting into uh, a brand new fleet vehicle. He had just, he was literally checking it in, uh, doing the checklist that we do every single day. 
but the vehicle, I think, had less than 20 miles on it. So he was checking it in, heard the call go out, and he responded as well, jumped in the car. Uh, and so when he arrived on scene, we had uh, apprehended the suspect and placed him under arrest. And uh, someone on scene then decided to place that uh, suspect in the back of this uh, sergeant's brand new car who was hadn't completed the checklist yet. And it was unbeknownst to uh, the officer as well. It was just the nearest uh, patrol vehicle. And so the uh, officer placed the suspect in the back. Unbeknownst to him, the middle partition wasn't closed. That was part of the check-in process. And so the suspect was able to slip the handcuffs from behind his back, uh, slip through the partition window into the driver's seat, steal the police car, and lead us on a chase across our county and then across a secondary county as well. Ended up crashing the uh, vehicle, the patrol vehicle, and um, that's where my FTO and I, we were the lead car on that chase. And um, when the suspect crashed his patrol, stolen patrol vehicle, he actually um, bailed out of the car. And so I bailed out of the car, but unbeknownst to uh, the person, the officer who was second in the chase, I came out the right side of the vehicle, which is extremely odd uh, for police. Uh, most obviously, in our city, we don't ride two to a car. We rode just single single people yeah. to a single person to a car. We were the same and, way. Uh, yeah, and so um, when I bailed out the right side, the second officer in the chase actually suffered um, an automotive phenomenon called brake fade. We're going to take a short break uh, on that note, and we're going to return to this conversation in a few moments. We're talking with John Saporsky. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. So much more heading your way. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return conversation with John Saporsky on the Law Enforcement Today Show, former law enforcement officer from Georgia. He's also the founder of Law Enforcement Connect. That's lawenforcementconnect.com. We'll explain what they do in a little bit. Before we end the break, and, and apologies for that, because you're right in the middle of your story. You're in FTO, and you've got this life and death situation. And by the way, thanks for clarifying how the suspect stole the brand new police car. Because a lot of times I find myself doing this, I read stories as I go, how did that happen? And I know yeah. how it can happen. So when you explain it, it, it really helped quite a bit. Now you get to the point where the guy bailed out and he had an officer injured, correct? Yeah, so the uh, suspect bailed out of his uh, wrecked stolen uh, patrol car there. And uh, when I bailed out to chase him, uh, the second patrol car in the chase, just behind my patrol car, who was in the lead actually, uh, crashed into a median partition and, uh, I just barely escaped. I mean, inch or, or less, uh, and the dash cam just captured, um, that. And so, yeah. And so we apprehended the suspect for a second time. Um, and 
when we uh, we did a debrief of the situation, uh, my sergeant lieutenant, uh, the chief, arrived on scene. Obviously, it was a big big deal, and uh, there was um, quite the stir around the dash cam video. And uh, my lieutenant told me, he said, "You can watch if you want, but I wouldn't if I was you." Was it and that? So I was didn't it watch that, that intense? Day. Uh, it was pretty close. I mean, uh, it was an intense chase. It was just an odd situation. No, uh, no one had ever stolen a police car before uh, in our city. And so it was just, it was a intense situation. Plus, it was my first month. So um, the, the crash that ensued uh, after the fact, after the crash there, or after the uh, chase there, rather, and the crash that happened was pretty violent as well. So... Uh, I would have been smushed for sure, but um, the lieutenant said, you can watch it if you want, but uh, I wouldn't. And so I didn't. I didn't watch it for a few weeks, and I wish I had never watched it because it was really, really close, and that that image played in my mind uh, for the remainder of my career and several years after the fact. I can almost tell you uh, that I'm I'm glad we didn't have body camera videos and and dash cam back in my day for that very reason, because part of this is – the, the replay in your mind of how it goes. I don't need to see how it went and to, to, to make it more graphic in my mind. That my fear is it would, it would increase the volume in my mind even more. Yeah, it was, you know, you have your mind's eye. And yeah, I just remember the vehicle whizzing by me. Um, and somebody described it almost like uh, like a video game, you know, where you your legs kind of jump up and you kind of levitate almost. And that's the way that the body cam or the uh, dash cam video showed. Did you and see the, the police car coming before you were able to move out of the way? It, it was like a, a sixth sense. Uh, I, I heard it. I saw it out of my peripheral. I knew just kind of inherently that something was coming fast uh, to my right side. And it was just... If I had been a split second slower out of the car, I tripped. I mean, it, it could have been a yeah, bad day. That's the that's the stuff that bothers me. Period. The the what ifs, is the close calls, and it could have been much, much, much worse. There are many, many times that you know, we had life and death situations, and I'm sure you went through these as well. And I thought the reason I made it through okay because I was just that good at my job, or whatever it might be. It turns out that had nothing to do with it. People who are great cops, I know. They they were killed or they were severely maimed and injured and they were just as good, if not better than I was. And there's, there's no rhyme or reason to this. Yeah. Same. Some of the best, best police officers I've, I've ever known were injured on the job and were forced uh, involuntarily into retirement. Um, but some of the most proactive, most uh, upstanding ethical team players, uh, these guys are top of the top. And uh, guys and gals, uh, best that I knew, uh, some of them were injured and had to retire early. Yeah. Uh, similar to your story. Yeah. And um, One thing that I absolutely love, though, about that story, and one of the reasons why I continue to tell it and bring it up, is actually a story uh, of constant pursuit of, of perfection or improvement is because our agency actually adopted, um, they, they reviewed the incident for the stolen police car, and as a result, they... Uh, actually integrated uh, wire or uh, kind of fencing almost, metal fencing. So no one could, even if the partition was open, no one could slip through again. And I think that speaks a lot to the law enforcement community of how we're always trying to improve and become better versions of ourselves, both professionally uh, 
and as an agency as well. Unfortunately, so much of what we do is based off tragedies in the past. Uh, here's a great example. Uh, if you look at the Miami FBI shootout, when I was a, a rookie police, we'd go to the range and we carried revolvers back in the day. And when you're qualifying and practicing and all this stuff, they would say fire six on a whistle, whatever it might be. And then you'd empty the spent shell casings into your hand and put them in your pocket so that you wouldn't have to go back later on and, and clean up the area. Well, that's what happened in this shootout with the FBI. One of the agents, I believe, was shot severely. I can't recall if he was killed, but he was he was found putting expended spent shell casings into his hand as he's trying to reload, and he was in a vulnerable position. Ever since that that case, we changed the way we trained. We changed everything about that, and it wasn't just us in our department; it was all across the United States. Absolutely, yeah. And I remember that case study. There was uh, there was quite a bit about. Um, you know, I served on the SWAT team in my jurisdiction as well as a multi-jurisdictional um, SWAT team there uh, for the north half of the uh, county that I worked in. But, um, you know, we called them tactical reloads and we, we wanted to get back into the fight as soon as possible. Don't waste any time. Focus on the primary things. Um, yeah, the threat. That, there's, a, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that. There's so many lessons to learn, and we're going to talk more about another scenario you went through. I do want to shift very quickly. Uh, we're talking about learning lessons from the past, and you said you were a SWAT team member. Um, our department called them QRT back in the day. There was also another big incident that changed policing in the United States dramatically, and it was a North Hollywood Bank shootout where mm-hmm. LAPD officers were armed with handguns and are going against men with semi-automatic rifles and full body armor, and they had to go to gun stores to get rifles. Right. And people were like, well, why do our police have an, an AR-15? Or why do they have this? Or why do they have that? That's the reason why. Because these incidents occur, and they are severely outgunned. Yeah, that, that incident uh, really it shed a lot of light on the fact that it is possible to outgun the police. And uh, unnecessarily so. I mean, the SWAT team at that point in time in North Hollywood, or for the North Hollywood shootout, the SWAT team was only one with AR-15s. Everybody right. else had handguns and shotguns, which wouldn't penetrate uh, body, the body armor that the uh, two suspects were wearing at the time, right? And, and the last thing is, uh, people love to talk about these, they call them tanks, the MRAP vehicles that are their surplus army military vehicles are given to police. They had wounded officers who were shot in the street and they're trying to rescue them under gunfire. And that's the reason why so many of the departments have those. And yes, even the quiet suburban departments need those because if it's three hours away, it does nobody any good. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with John Saporsky, former law enforcement officer, also the founder of Law Enforcement Connect. We're going to talk more about another incident in his career. And you and I both know a lot of people in police work don't respond like the media says. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. 
we'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with John Saporsky on the Law Enforcement Today show. John is a former law enforcement officer. Uh, did four years outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I think it's Roswell, Georgia. He's also founder of Law Enforcement Connect. Their website is lawenforcementconnect.com. Thanks for your service and thanks for telling uh, uh, your experience. Because so much of what we hear in the news media nowadays uh, is, I want to say news media, not just television news, radio, also social media, especially big time, is that police are trigger happy. And you and I both know that many, many times in what would be justified shootings, law enforcement officers don't fire. And I didn't fire in two of mine. And you went through one, even early in your career, you've been through one life and death situation. They did another one involving gunplay and an armed robbery, correct? Yeah, that's right. And um, in this circumstance as well, it was an armed robbery of a pizza joint in my jurisdiction. And, uh, the armed robber had fled out the, the rear of the restaurant and we were on patrol and my zone partner and I were in a, our vehicles and we were patrolling the area and he and I simultaneously spotted the individual, the suspect matching the suspect description. And so when we got out of our vehicles uh, to engage the suspect, he took off, uh, got into a foot chase with this individual. Uh, my partner was about 20 foot ahead of me. And uh, the suspect decided it'd be a good idea to draw his gun and point it at my partner. And um, my partner was the only one to fire. He fired three times. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to fire myself. Uh, I actually didn't see the suspect pull and point his handgun. So I didn't actually. It's, it's funny, and maybe your incidents as well, you can reflect on some of this, but I actually didn't know who was shooting, whether we were being shot at or whether my partner was the one shooting. Um, But when we, uh, my partner fired three shots and the suspect dropped his handgun and proned out on the ground, he laid on his stomach on the ground. And as my partner held him uh, at gunpoint, I effected the arrest and placed him in in handcuffs. Uh, But it's, I I, just a crazy situation. It's tough to know what's going on at the moment in time. How long did it take from start to finish? Seconds. That's the thing. I mean, the foot chase might have been 10 seconds, and the shooting was less than two. I want to go back to, you you heard the description, and when you're driving down the street and you see the suspect matching the description, what was the first thought in your mind? Did you have the aha moment? Uh, When I saw him on the ground? No, when you first saw him before the the, the foot chase and the shooting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, when we identified the suspect, I mean, we knew the, the description that dispatch had put out uh, over the radio. And um, when we saw him immediately, it was uh, more or less excitement uh, to a certain degree that we're going to be able to capture a bad guy. There have been so many times in my career as I look back, John, that you have people you go, oh, I don't know if that's a guy or not. You know, I just don't know. And it turns out it is later on you find out. And other ones were instantly and I don't, I can't describe it when you're looking at them and they're looking at you and they both have that aha moment. 
you know you've got the right person and you know it's on. Yeah, a lot of times you just the engaging of a person, the way that they respond to it, uh, the engagement with a police officer tells you a lot about their demeanor and what they're up to. You know, it's not normal if you say, hey, sir, can I talk to you for a minute? And they take off running with no explanation. Something's up, right? Yeah, I'm not running right now at all. The only time I'm running is if you're chasing me with a gun. I'm not doing it. I'm done. Those days are over. So I want to go to something you said earlier. And and I can't remember where this line came from. I think it was a movie or television show. I can't remember. But so much of police work was absolute sheer boredom followed by extreme adrenaline back to sheer boredom and then backing up and down, up and down, up and down. And that happens sometimes multiple times a shift for me. Was that the case for you guys? Yes, we were um, a metro Atlanta area, you know, located about 10 miles north of the city of Atlanta. So we did have quite a bit, um, but it was, you know, it was, it's a decent place uh, for sure. Uh, Very nice place to live, a very nice place to work. But we did, you know, we did see a lot of riffraff coming up from the city and getting into trouble. Uh, The thing that, like, going back to what I was talking about earlier was the things that I did not anticipate from the police career was how much paperwork there was, uh, how much uh, the paperwork involving in report writing and documenting, whether it was an armed robbery or DUI or just a simple civilian complaint that needed to be uh, processed and documented correctly. Uh, That was, and I absolutely agree that it it is moments of downtime followed by moments of sheer panic and and, uh, excitement. Most of the time, in my experience, I didn't have a chance to get ramped up and and get fearful beforehand. It was usually afterwards. That was when the reaction would occur. Uh, The exception being like drug raids, when you knew what you're going into, you knew it was going to be bad and the potential for violence is very high. Or we had calls for, there's one guy in our district who was great guy, phenomenal guy, until he started drinking and didn't take his medication. Then he we get calls for a big man in the middle of the street in the middle of the wintertime in Justin's underwear rocking the front of an MTA bus. And we knew who it was. And we knew there's a good possibility we're going to have to fight him. And he put a lot of people in, in the hospital. And you, I do that silent prayer ahead of time. Oh, my, let me do the right thing and, and let me make it through this okay. Did you have a lot of those calls or no? Yeah, we. Uh, it's funny. I think every jurisdiction has at least one of those people. Uh, the one that you know, he's a troublemaker. He's, uh, for whatever reason, uh, he's going to be causing an issue sooner than later. And he's a repeat offender. Absolutely. What a great guy. The the best kind of world. The first time I met him, I was a rookie with a, a senior officer. And they're like, oh, by the way, this is so-and-so. And he introduced me. He was very polite, very nice. He had tried out for the Baltimore pro football team at the time and got cut because he was tackling everybody. He was a huge monster of a man, but really, really nice. And when he started drinking and got off his medicine, he was totally out of control, a totally different person. And the only way we could calm him down, we learned, is say, hey, I'm going to go get your mother. And it, it was immediate diffusion. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and when they are repeat offenders, you just you probably learn your success tactic through trial and error, I would say. Yeah. And this is before the time where we had the magic phrase of de-escalation. Like, we didn't try to de-escalate stuff beforehand. 
Yeah, we had uh, we had the advantage uh, with my my career. We had the advantage of the crisis intervention training and the CIT uh, team there, and we did. We had formal education on uh, how to de-escalate with uh, specifically for mental health and uh, also for drugs, uh, drug abuse, and stuff like that. So, yeah. it was uh, a, a, it policing has come a long way. It was a nonstop thing, even in the 80s with training. And, and people say, uh, this is one thing that really gets to me. Like, the police need more training. Well, you could always get more. When you start defunding police, the first thing that gets cut is training. So we had, in our case, it was five months intense academy. And then you had daily roll call. Well, there was more training involving laws and procedures and things of that nature. Then we had yearly in-service training where it was a week of classrooms. And in that week, you'd have all kinds of sensitivity training, all kinds of training dealing with autism awareness, whatever it might be, you were dealing. And we were dealing with techniques called de-escalation before it became a thing. We were doing community policing before it became a phrase. It's all we knew back in the day. And now people talk about, well, you know, if they just have more de-escalation training, this, that, then somehow magically they can make the person do what we want them to do and eliminate the threat. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're talking with John Saporsky. He is a former law enforcement officer, and he did four years on a job. And after leaving, which we'll talk about in a few moments, he started experiencing some changes, not just mentally, emotionally, but also job-wise. And he's the founder of Law Enforcement Connect, which we will talk about Get more details at lawenforcementconnect.com. We're going to take a short break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Return conversation with John Saporsky on the Law Enforcement Today Show. John is a former law enforcement officer in Roswell, Georgia. Nearly killed his first week on the job. Also involved in an officer-involved shooting. Uh, by the way, he did not shoot. I know a lot of people don't believe that. We're talking about his mental state of mind after leaving police work after four years and transitioning into founding Law Enforcement Connect. Their website is lawenforcementconnect.com. One of the things I struggled with when I retired is I got hurt retired young. I was 33, and I was so used to the adrenaline rush and, and lack of better words, identifying myself with a job. It's not wasn't my whole life, but it was a big part of my life. I loved what I did. It didn't love me back. The reality is... For everybody who works in law enforcement, love your job. That's great. If you get hurt, they're going to replace you the next day. The job's not going to love you, and you're going to pay a price. And it's not just you. Your family's going to pay a price. Everybody's close to you is going to pay a price. Well, one of the issues I had was I was so used to the adrenaline and the excitement, I must become addicted to it because when I left police work and all of a sudden I had nothing but sheer boredom, it created huge problems for me huge depression issues, all sorts of other issues related to that. Did you encounter that? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the books that I wish I had had early on was uh, a book by Dr. Kevin Gilmartin called Emotional uh, Survival for Law Enforcement. And it in his book, uh, the doctor here 
he references the hypervigilance roller coaster, um, which in a way references Newton's third law of physics, which basically says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And one of the things, as you mentioned, is when we live in law enforcement, uh, for me, I lived inside my jurisdiction. I worked uh, every EJ, extra job, OT, overtime, every shift I could possibly pick up. On top of that, I was in training, court, and call-outs for SWAT. Um, I was switched on all the time. I was living uh, in a state of alertness that wasn't healthy to sustain itself for over a long period of time. And so when I left law enforcement as well, similar to you, my body biologically didn't know how to handle the uh, adrenaline that wasn't present in my own body anymore. And so I suffered and went to a pretty deep depression. Yeah. The absence of the highs and lows really took a toll. And it, it still does to some degree. I, I don't have difficulty functioning. I, th- this is a true story. Just happened. Uh, my wife and I were talking to some some man. Who he was is not important. Where we were was important. He goes, you know, I've been intimidated by your husband for a long time. And I'm sitting there listening to him. And she goes, he's a really nice guy. And a lot of people say that. And he goes, it's a wall. And she goes, no, it's not a wall. He, he he's, he's a very nice guy. But people think he's intimidating. I uh, You develop, at least in my case, I developed this look. I'd be the guy in the old folks' home. They'll go, shh, there comes 5-0. I'll always look like a police. And I don't want to walk around with this look of sternness and hypervigilance and all that stuff. But still, it's still there. Absolutely. You know, I, it's funny. I grew a beard, and now I don't get as much of that anymore. Uh, but when I'm clean-shaven, people either they say, you military or law enforcement, what's your deal? You know, and of course, I, I respond proudly that I served in the law enforcement community uh, previously. The only people, I should say, the only animals that don't do that are dogs. My dogs don't question me at all. They're fine. <laughs> people do it all the time. Here's a standard joke that my, my daughters and I have. A guy will say, man, your dad looks really mean. And I'll go, he's a re- he's a retired cop. He looks like that all the time. He's a really nice guy. Just, just relax. And they cannot relax. But I found it difficult making that transition all of a sudden i'm no longer police all of a sudden i have to decide what i want to do for the rest of my life because the pension while good and i won't get into technicalities uh, it became uh my health insurance increase was a third of my pension i couldn't afford to live off that alone i had to work yeah absolutely and you know one of the the truths that uh, law enforcement officers need to understand early on in their career, if not day one uh, through the academy, is that everyone will inevitably, who makes it home from shift, everyone will inevitably transition and leave law enforcement. So develop your skills, develop yourself, uh, invest in uh, a secondary or, or even a hobby, a passion project, something that you can monetize later on that uh, you can support yourself on if something like your situation happens where you're medically retired early. Yeah, I, I know guys, and I say guys, that's men and women that are in wheelchairs and they can't work and they're eating ramen noodles because the pension system, the way it is. And each of them love the job as much as I did. And then we're all just one call away from catastrophic injury. Uh, some have it, some manage not have it, but we all come very, very close yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's kind of like riding a motorcycle. It's not about whether or not you're going to fall over or, you know, in some sort of crash. It's just a matter of when. I mean, whether you dump your bike in the garage or 
you know, uh, my first motorcycle as well. I slid right off, you know, uh, the side of the road on a sandy patch. You know, it's just a matter of, of when uh, and what level of trauma. But, you know, I think there's another aspect here that uh, officers need to be aware of and, and the public as well is that uh, trauma and PTSI or PTS it can occur in two forms, acute and chronic. It can occur in an instant or it can occur over time. And that's something that we need to obviously be uh, managing day in and day out as law enforcement professionals. From what I understand, the chronic can be more difficult and more pervasive and more life challenging than the and one episode can be very, very bad. I'm, I'm not downplaying it. I'm just saying there are differences and quite often what we see in people is we'll see, and there's an incident just not that long ago in South Florida, where a career officer, 20 plus years on a job, absolutely lost it on the, on the street. I mean, lost total control. And a big part of the population is like, this is a bad person. He needs to be arrested. He needs it. And my thought was, that's a sick person right there and needs some help. Yeah, keep in mind, you know, people people don't fake being depressed. They fake being happy. And so uh when someone's faking being happy, you got to check in. You got to you, you we should be doing this and I still do this uh, with many of my coworkers and colleagues from my time in law enforcement. Uh and then just how's it going? You know, um I heard it recently said status check, right? How's it going? You okay? How's family life? How's career? What's going on? Um, but, you know, I, I hope we stop seeing uh, the rise in suicides. I, I hope that we understand the trauma that is encountered every day within the job. Um, but also to be able to say that there's hope at the end of the tunnel, to say that there is a career, there is a life after law enforcement. And if you need out for your own mental well-being, you know, there is a way um, for a path to success both if you want to stay in or if you want to transition out. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's what you did sometime after leaving law enforcement. You started Law Enforcement Connect. What is that and what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my my transition from law enforcement should have been on paper. It should have been easy. Um, I've got a business degree. Uh, I could transfer. I have experience in the business world prior to law enforcement. I was getting back into the business world after law enforcement. Uh, and so by all accounts, I sh- it should have been an easy transition. Uh, I was educated and uh, experienced in the work that I was going to be doing. But the thing that I didn't anticipate was the biological uh, change, like we mentioned before, the adrenaline, the depression, all of these things. And then the culture is uh, shockingly different as well. And even though we as law enforcement professionals work with people every day uh, in the civilian community, right? They're our clients. They're, uh, they're the people that we interact with on a daily basis. Uh, it's not the same world. So what I had uh, a very difficult time transitioning uh, from, uh, from service to civilian, I decided to do something and start looking for solutions. So I looked out there. I reached out to many organizations. Uh, I couldn't find many resources for veterans of law enforcement, the same way that the military does. Um, The military has 40,000 veteran service organizations or VSOs, and law enforcement doesn't. So I decided to um, help. I decided to create a solution, a resource rather, uh, which started as a passion project years ago, 
but it developed into as as we grew and as we started helping people across North America, cops across North America, um, we ex- we decided to exclusively support the law enforcement community and career transition because somebody needed to. And your website uh, is lawenforcementconnect.com. John, thanks so much for being a guest on the show, telling your story. All very much appreciated. Thanks, Jay. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, leave an honest review and or rating. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.